Our text for the morning is found in the book of Genesis in chapter 32, an episode from the life of Jacob. I'll begin reading at verse 22. The same night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the place Penal, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Perhaps one of the greatest of all of God's miracles is the way that God and God alone can change a human heart. We are all born into this world with a heart that needs to be transformed by the grace of God. I don't understand it when I hear sometimes even Christian people say things like, follow your heart or listen to your heart. Because the Bible is very clear that the heart is in need of transformation. God said in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? John Calvin, one of the early reformers, said that the human heart is an idol-making machine. The human heart needs transformation, and only God can transform the human heart. Jacob, one of the patriarchs of the Hebrew Bible, is a tremendous example of how God can transform a human heart. Jacob was born enamored with himself, turned in on himself. He tried to be a self-sufficient person. He saw himself as very resourceful. He was one of those kinds of people who always felt as if he could eventually get out of anything and make everything work out to his will. In many ways, Jacob was a very prideful person. The name Jacob means grabber or taker or deceiver. And that tells us that Jacob was born as a taker. But God would work on Jacob throughout Jacob's life 
until he had quit being so much of a taker and become more of a giver. He was the grabber, the taker, the deceiver. He was born grabbing at the heel of his twin brother Esau. Then he grabbed at the birthright that belonged to Esau. Then he grabbed at the blessing that belonged to Esau from his father Isaac. And after making a mess of his family, he, Jacob, fled from his family and was away for many years from his family. But during all of that time when Jacob was away from his family because of the disaster he made out of his family, God was working to make Jacob into the person that God wanted Jacob to be. And then at the end of that long season when Jacob was away from his family, when he was wandering in many ways in the wilderness because of what he had done to his brother Esau, came that night. That night that I read about a few moments ago, that night when Jacob experienced that mysterious assailant there by the river Jabbok. There he was that night. He was by himself and he was anxious. He was getting ready after many years to encounter for the first time his brother Esau. And he heard that his brother Esau was coming to him with 400 men. And of course, Jacob didn't know whether or not Esau was coming as a friend or a foe. So Jacob sent all of his family, his possessions into safety. And there he was that night, there in the darkness, by himself. I'm sure anxious about what the meeting with Esau would look like. And it's a very mysterious thing that happened. We heard it in the text just a few moments ago. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He struck him on his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but now you shall be called Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and you have prevailed then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the place Penal because he said, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. And then this mysterious story ends as we watch Jacob limping off into the sunrise, going to be reconciled with his brother Esau. And when he meets his brother Esau in the next chapter of Genesis, Jacob is definitely a new person with a new heart. This is a great mystery, this 
story that's being presented of this mysterious assailant with whom Jacob wrestled all night. Even the text itself seems to be a little unclear as to who this assailant was. The text starts off by just referring to the assailant as a man. But then toward the end of the conflict, the wrestling match, it became apparent to Jacob that Jacob was not just wrestling with a man or perhaps even just an angel, as the Old Testament book of Hosea teaches, but perhaps was wrestling with God himself. And that's why at the end of the encounter, Jacob named the place Penal, which means literally face of God, because he believed that here on this night, he was wrestling with God himself. He had seen the face of God and he survived. So here we see the grabber, the taker, the deceiver, grabbing hold of God and refusing to let go of God until God blesses him. Of course, there is a great, great deal that we don't know about God. We know more than we need to know perhaps about God because of God's revelation through scripture, but there's still a lot that is mysterious about God and the working of God, and this text seems to present some of the mystery of God for us to contemplate. There was a lot, obviously, that Jacob did not know about the God of Abraham and Isaac, his father's. But by this point in Jacob's life, by the end of this wrestling match as day was breaking, Jacob knew that this was the one, capital O, this was the one who could bless him. This was the one that could help him be the person that he wanted to be. So, of course, the climax of this mysterious wrestling match is the renaming of Jacob. And in the renaming of Jacob, we see that Jacob, the grabber, the taker, the deceiver, would become Israel, which means one who strives with God. Or if you like, you can even translate it prince with God. So by this point in Jacob's life, and it's been a long journey, Jacob is a new person with a new identity because he has a new heart. And that's when Jacob becomes Israel. And Israel becomes the name of this people. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is the chief rabbi in the British Commonwealth. And when he writes on this text, when he writes about the patriarchs, he has said this, a protected life is a fragile and superficial life. What Genesis tells us is that the heroes of our faith did not live charmed lives. They suffered exiles, new danger, had their hopes 
disappointed and their expectations delayed. They fought, they struggled, they neither gave in nor gave up. But I would want to add to the words of Rabbi Sachs that the text continued to show us also that God never gave in. God never gave up on these, his servants. So when I look at this text, I'm reminded once again of how deeply and how desperately God loves you and God loves me. God loves us so much that God will not quit messing with us, interfering into our lives until God makes us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes of the faith and perhaps one of the greatest Christian defenders of the 20th century, said this in his book, The Problem of Pain. If God is love, he is by definition something more than mere kindness. God has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, most inexorable sense. The intolerable compliment. God refuses to leave us alone. As the poet Francis Thompson said, God is the hound of heaven and he pursues us and pursues us and pursues us. God is the great gardener who is forever pruning us to help us to bear the fruit that God wants us to bear in life. Everything that comes into our life is not from God. Sin, flesh, and the devil are all at work in the world. But we need to also realize that God is at work in the world. We need to always remember that God is superintending all of the activity of this world. God is allowing things into our lives. And then God will work with those very things to help us become the people that God wants us to become. And God will continue to interfere with our lives until we become the people that God wants us to be in Jesus Christ. And oftentimes this interfering in our lives from God feels like a wrestling match. I remember when I was a new Christian back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, there was a popular song and it said this, he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. He's still working on you. And sometimes it does feel like we're wrestling with God. But that's one of God's ways of blessing us. So, where is God at work in your life presently, right now, today? 
I've told my congregations over and over during the course of my ministry that if you want to see where God is at work in your life right now, perhaps the best place for you to look is for that point in your life right now where you're the most uncomfortable. That may be where the great gardener is working in your life to prune things from your life. This might be the point at which you're wrestling with God as God is paying you that intolerable compliment of refusing to let you be and endeavoring to help you become the person that he wants you to be. And that means growing up into the image of Jesus Christ. So where is God working at presently in your life? If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I will assure you that God is working right now in your life to help you more completely take on the mind of Christ, to become the person that God wants you to be. God had a plan. God had a plan that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God would bless the whole human race. And we've experienced that blessing through Jesus Christ. But first, God had to get Jacob to become Israel. So we see the wrestling match. We see God's great, great love for Jacob. God's great desire to transform Jacob. We're reminded of God's great, great love for us. May I pray with you? God, we thank you that you refuse to let us be. But because we have given our lives to Jesus Christ, you have received us, and now you are working on us and in us to make us what you'd have us to be. And we're so grateful, God, that you are still working on each one of us. And even when it feels like a wrestling match, even when it feels like the great gardener is pruning our lives, give us the grace to be grateful. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.